Good morning. It's great to see all of you here. Um, I too just want to say uh, welcome if you're a guest here with us. My name is Jeff, one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, we're really uh, just uh, excited to be able to encounter God together in this place. Well, as Jack said, there's a lot going on this summer, and he mentioned the trip that's in, uh, just taking place right now in the Dominican Republic, and uh, a little over a week ago, we had a team get back um, from Lexington, Nebraska, where they were working with a Latino church there, and we heard great things about God, what God did on that, on that trip, and, um, and then also, we've got going on right now, which concludes today, our boys track camp, and as you might know, that is a way for us as a church to be able to come alongside kids in the foster care system and just to provide care for them, and just an exciting camp-type weekend, and um, many of them um, come into a relationship with Christ and experience love of another kind on that weekend, and so lots of fun stuff happening. I wanted to celebrate this with you. Over the course of this summer, um, over 200 Brooksiders are taking part in our Go Team's trip at trips, and that's just really great. That means that a lot of us, and, and this really impacts every one of us who are a part of this, but as a church, that means that we get to join God by His grace in what He's doing, not only in our state, but um, in our city, and, and r- literally around the world. And so it's a, it's a pretty, um, pretty neat thing that, that God's doing that we get to be a part of. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to be starting a new series, and uh, it's called uh, Captivated, and I think you're really going to enjoy this series and what God has for us, and it's a four-week series. And so um, before we jump in, would you pray with me, and let's not only pray for this morning, but let's pray for these next three weeks as well, uh, that God really just meets us in this place. So would you, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you um, for this morning. Lord, thank you that we have the privilege of seeing you working in our midst. Um, We're so grateful for that. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that we can come together on a morning like today and we can celebrate you as well. Um, God, we we do. We just rejoice. We, We praise you for who you are. And this morning, Lord, as we look to this week and then the following three weeks, Lord, we just want to pray that in this series you would do a great thing. Father, we come here and, Lord, we, uh, we longingly um, wait in expectation to encounter you. Um, that's why we gather week in and week out. And so, Lord, we just want to say to you this morning and these next several weeks, Lord, we just want to say, Lord, we want to encounter you. And so would you even just... On your own, would you just take a second, because God will honor a simple prayer like this, would you just say to the Lord on your own, would you say, Lord, I want to encounter you this morning. So go ahead and just do that on your own. Father, there's nothing greater than to encounter you, and um, so, Lord, now we pray, and we pray for this, this whole series, that it would just be a, a significant time in our lives, and uh, that you would do a great work in your church. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, the title of the series that we're beginning today, it's called Captivated. And um, you maybe can think of something in your life that maybe once, at one point or another, it captivated you, something that fascinated you, something that it really drew you in, it really got your attention, something that it just, you could even say it, it gripped you. Maybe it wasn't something, maybe you would say it was, it was someone even. And this is what I think we would all say to be true, that the, the, the greater, the more significant that thing is, the more it captivates us, the more it grips our attention. You might even say this, that you can think of as you think of your life, that maybe you can think of something that you'd say, wow, I was even, I was caught up in it. I mean, it was, it was that captivating to me. Um, so when you think about your life, 
What captivates you? What has captivated you? What would you say if I asked you this morning, if we sat across from each other, what would you say grips your heart? Oh, what, 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 really, what really gets you? What really has captivated the attention and the, even the affection of your heart? Uh, Christina likes to watch this movie called Pride and Prejudice. And it's based on the Jane Austen novel. And if you know anything about it, it's a very manly movie. It's action-packed. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> but in the, the greatest act of sacrifice, literally, in our marriage, um, I have watched this movie with her on, on numerous, <laughs> numerous occasions. And... Um, yeah, it, it deserves applause. Thank you. Thank you. I do my best. Yes. Uh, so here's the thing, though. If you don't know this movie, uh, the movie gets to this climatic point where the two main characters have this in- interchange between each other. And, and what's led up to that is a lot of distractions from this relationship that they could have. And so at this big, dramatic moment in the movie, Mr. Darcy says to Elizabeth, He says this, he says, I will have to tell you, which is kind of a weird way to say something. He says, I will have to tell you, you have bewitched me body and soul, and I love, I love, I love you. And then he says, and from this day forward, I do not wish to depart from you ever. Now, I can't believe I just quoted that without notes, but (laughs) yeah. The depths to which we fall, men, right? We'll be watching Braveheart at my house tonight later on, But think about this example for a second. I mean, it's a really a pretty good example. He says, all of me, you have bewitched me. You have overcome me, body and soul. Right? It's, that's captivating. That's, it, that's a picture of what it means to be captivated. I can relate to that on, on some degree. I remember in college, um, when I met Christina, uh, my habits in life changed. I noticed even that my patterns of how I walked to class changed. It wasn't so much about getting from point A to point B in the least amount of time possible. Instead, I was even adding sometimes up to 30 minutes in the middle of the winter to my route so that I could hopefully just be able to see her. And and even beyond that, if I could run into her and then we could have a small conversation, oh, that would be so great. I was captivated. I still am. I was enthralled. When I think about that now, it actually sounds a little bit like I was a creepy stalker. But, (laughs) but, you know, you do what you got to do. But I, I I was captivated by her. You know what that means to be, to be captivated. You know that feeling. I think we'd all agree that this is true. If something is truly captivating to you, it's no small deal. Like, you wouldn't say about something that, oh, it just has a, a mild impact. You wouldn't associate that mild impact with captivated. Instead, you would say something that changes the course of your life, something that really shifts your direction, that's captivating. Because it, it grabs you. It, it, it changes your affection. It moves you. In this series, we're going to look at how and, very importantly, why the Apostle Paul was so incredibly captivated by Jesus Christ. So what we're going to do in this series, and I think you're really going to be impacted and enjoy this series, we're going to look at four different letters in the New Testament. We're going to begin today, we're going to look at Ephesians, then we're going to go Philippians, or or Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then we're going to end in in Colossians. And in each one of those letters, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at one aspect of Jesus Christ that captivated the Apostle Paul. One thing that got a hold of his attention so much that he would say of, of himself, oh, this was, a, this was captivating. And I've just got to tell you, it is a privilege to be able to stand up on this stage today and to be able to know that we're about to open up this book of Galatians because what it contains, it's incredible. It's an absolute joy to do this today. 
Maybe you're new to church, or maybe you're, new, you're back to church, or maybe you're a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, I would just say to you this morning, the message that we're going to, to get out of this book of Galatians, it's incredibly life-changing. It's one of those topics that it doesn't just hit you on one point in your life, but it's one of those that it's like overarching. It's a perspective changer. It, it really, it's, a, it's a, on, a, on a big level, it's a game changer on all fronts of life. And so I'm just so excited that we gathered here today to be able to open this up together. We're going to end up in, just kind of tell you where we're going, we're going to end up in Galatians chapter 2, but before we get there, I think it's helpful to set it up a little bit with a little bit of a backdrop, and this might be a reminder for you, or this might be new information for you. Either way, it's helpful, I think. But we need to understand, I think, very carefully where Paul is coming from. So if we're going to see that Paul is so captivated by Jesus Christ, I think we've got to understand where was he at one other time? Where was he before he was captivated? What did it look like for him? A simple study of Paul's life will tell you that the, de the degree to which he was captivated, it is so large and so extreme that the events in his life are very important to make note of. Here's what we're going to see. In Acts chapter 8, we know this. While Paul, we would say, is captivated by Jesus Christ. We're going to go through that in this series. You look back in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to see that Paul was not very pro-Jesus at this time in his life. It actually says this in Acts 8. It says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judah and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him. Just verses before this, it says that the apostle Paul stood over this man and, and gave um, confirmation that he was dead. Paul was leading that charge. It says, but Saul, and, and, and whenever you see that in the text today, it's, that's referring to Paul, so he was renamed, but Paul began to destroy the church. So this is, this is his course. He, going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Now, Paul was, what was he? He was passionate about stopping the, the movement of Christianity. Just the one chapter later, we see that after Paul has this personal encounter with Jesus Christ, we see a complete change. Paul goes from being this man who's completely opposed, and he's captivated by that cause, to stopping the spread of Christianity. We see, boom, Paul changes the course, and he's now captivated by everyone he knows being able to know him, being able to know Christ. That's what he becomes captivated by. Now, you can imagine what this shift was like. Imagine if you were one of the recipients of his persecution. Imagine if Paul had come to your city and he had threatened to arrest you, right? Imagine that happening. And now all of a sudden, this guy that was kind of going crazy on these followers of Christ, wanting to arrest them and drag them off into prison, now he's the guy that's sharing Christ with people. It would have been a, a complete shift. It would have been like, what? This is what they said. It says in the text that they were astonished and they asked isn't this the man who raised havoc in jerusalem for followers of christ isn't this the guy that was actually pursuing us for the exact opposite cause know this the level at which paul was captivated is no small deal when he has this encounter with jesus christ it's not as though it started here and then it just kind of like a blip on the radar like it was a fad, like he went to summer camp and had a great experience, but then came down. No, what, not, that, not the case at all. Paul goes from being uncaptivated by Christ 
to being captivated. And what we see is that it doesn't just take place over a week or a year. It goes on, and that captivation leads him through beatings and imprisonments and persecutions and opposition after opposition. The level at which Paul is captivated pushed him, and it allowed him to endure all sorts of things for Christ. Nearing the end of his life, he makes this statement. Again, this captivation of with Jesus Christ, it was a lifelong thing for him. He says this near the end of his life in 2 Timothy. He said, in the time for my departure is near, meaning he's saying, I'm about to die. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What he's saying there, and you read the rest of that letter, he's saying it's worth it. He's saying, I'm so captivated by Christ, and I've endured all these things, but everything that I've endured, it's worth it. it. It wasn't in vain, not at all. That's the backdrop of the Apostle Paul, captivated by wanting to stop Christianity and then captivated by Jesus Christ to the point at which he endured all sorts of things. But here's the key question, why? Why was Paul so captivated? Here's a question that we're going to answer this morning. What was it about Jesus that captivated Paul like nothing else ever would? And what is it for us this morning that would be so captivating about Jesus that it it could take us and it could captivate our minds and our thoughts and our hearts like nothing else ever would. This week we're going to look at one aspect about Jesus that captured and really captivated Paul. Again, this, this letter to the Galatians is a complete gift to us. And so this is how it begins. And if you've got a your Bible, you can go to flip, go ahead and flip to Galatians chapter one or flip there on your phone. Um, here it is, Galatians chapter 1. says this, To the churches in Galatia, Paul writes, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this was a pretty typical way that Paul would start a letter. He would start it with a greeting. There, you see this in, in, in all the letters. Then after he gets to this, what would be very typical for Paul would be to encourage his listeners. He would say something that if you were receiving a letter from Paul, you'd go, wow, I'm doing pretty good. This is going well. Paul, Paul looks at our faith, and, and he helped us plant this church, and now he's kind of checking in, and, and he's saying good things about us. He would say things like this. So, for instance, in the, to the churches in, in Philippi, he wrote this. He said, I thank my God every time I remember you. That's pretty good. That's huge. I thank my God every time I think about you. He said this to the, to the churches in Colossae. He said, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We always thank God for you. Very, very encouraging. This is really important. This really sets the stage for where we're going this morning. When we get to the book of Galatians, Paul does not say anything like that. Paul speaks to these people in a completely different tone. One that... And it's just a stri- this really paints the picture of where he's going this morning. Paul speaks to them in such a way that he's surprised. He speaks to them in such a way that he's upset. He speaks to them in such a way that he's, you can tell, he's frustrated. And this is why he's frustrated. Paul knows that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of God uh, sending his son Jesus Christ to live, to die, and then he was raised from the dead, the gospel and how we can know Christ Paul knows the gospel is being threatened. Paul knows that certain people are are coming in, they're saying different things, and things are happening. And so this gospel that he is captivated by, 
that's changed his life that many of you, you and I would say, oh, the gospel is, it's changed me. Well, Paul knows that the gospel is being threatened, and so he speaks with this passionate tone. So he writes this, and look at me at verse 6. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, meaning that you're not, you're not turning to the gospel that, that we declared to you. You're not, you're, not, you're not talking about the same gospel that Christ died for our sins and that we can know him through faith in him. Paul's saying, you, you, you've turned to something else. And then he says this, which is really no gospel at all. You may have heard this before. The gospel, typically it's referred to by Christians as the good news. Meaning, wow, it's just, it's like it blows our minds. The gospel that God would send his son to die for me so that I don't have to carry around my sin. I mean, it, it's amazing. He says this, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. They're trying to come in and, and, and they're trying to, to change your mind, to distort the truth. And then he goes on to say this powerful. He says, but even if we, big statement, or an angel from heaven, kind of covers all the bases, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As I have already said, so I now say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel, the message of Christ, other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. When we get to chapter 3, he says to these Galatians, he says, you foolish Galatians. And the text says, he says, who has bewitched you? He says, man, who has duped you? He said, wow, you, you heard the gospel and now you've turned and, and you're embracing the gospel plus other things and, and you're distorting the gospel. Paul's tone is so strong. But his tone is so strong because of what is at stake. I was thinking about it this week. Um, I was driving into our neighborhood and this helped me kind of picture what, what's happening in this text. And I watched this dad as I pulled into the neighborhood. I watched this dad who was teaching his daughter how to ride uh, her bike. It looked like it was probably the first time she'd ever been on a bike. Training wheels were still on the bike. And so here's this dad, and he's, you know, he's kind of pushing her along. You know, he's got his hand on her back. And at one point, you know, as I'm driving by, I saw him even grab her foot, and he's helping her, like, learn how to push the pedals around. And, and it was just this scene of this gentle father giving this little girl instruction. And you could tell, like, it was first time, maybe first child even, and he was really protecting. It was incredible. Okay, now imagine that this girl, maybe three, four months later, she's got riding the bike down. Training wheels are off. And so she's out, and, and she's riding the bike maybe a half a block or so ahead of him. He's walking, and all of a sudden he sees that she's coming up, a, up to an intersection, but he knows she's not very good at stopping. I have a four-year-old. I know what this is like. And so, so she's not very good at stopping, and so he thinks in his mind, oh, this, this could be bad. But then he sees a car coming very quickly toward the intersection. Now, what would this father do at this point? He would, not gently in this nice, kind instruction, he would begin to yell, stop. He'd yell at the car, he'd yell at his daughter, and no one would critique his tone. No one. Because of what is at stake. It's his daughter. Know this, when we get to Galatians, the Apostle Paul, the reason why he speaks so passionately and with such intensity, it's because of what is at stake. Paul knows that the gospel is a game changer for a person for all of eternity. 
And so Paul's not going to let anything or anyone get in the way and distort the message of Jesus Christ. You know, I can see, honestly, why Paul gets so passionate here. I can see why Paul would be so frustrated by this threat to the gospel. You know, maybe for you, you come here this morning and you would say, something happened to me in my childhood and it's tainted my view of God. Maybe in your childhood, maybe in early adulthood. And it's really kind of had this taint on, on your picture of God and it's effective how you even embrace God. Or maybe you would say, I had a bad church experience. Or I had multiple bad church experiences. Or maybe you would say, it's not something for me, it's someone. I know someone. I have a coworker, and they claim to be a follower of Christ, but by the way that they live, it pushes me actually away from God. It, it taints my picture of him. And I can see why Paul is frustrated, because when something takes a person away from an accurate picture of who Jesus Christ is, it's heartbreaking. Because if you or I were to sit across from each other and we were to talk about those issues and those things and I was able to, to sit down with you and say, in the scriptures, this is who Jesus Christ is and this is the life that he offers to you. All of a sudden, those other issues would become side issues and they would, you'd see them in the right light. This is why Paul this is such a big deal because he knows the gospel changes lives. And so he's saying, this is a big deal. So this takes us now in the text to the confrontation. And I think this is one of the most awkward instances in the Bible. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. And, and when we get to it, you're going to, as we unpack this, you're going to see specifically what was wrong and why it was such a big deal. And you're going to understand why Paul reacted as strongly as he did. And I've got to just say to you, as we kind of get to watch from the outside this confrontation, this is a gift to us. Because here's what it does for us this morning. It brings clarity to the gospel. And the gospel is important not only for the day that you meet Christ, but the gospel impacts your life throughout your entire life. Not just a starting place, but throughout your entire life. And that's why this is so important. So this is what happened in verse 11. Watch this. It says, when Cephas, and as you see Cephas throughout this text, that's another name for Peter. Okay. So when, when Peter came to Antioch, Paul writes, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. You read that and you go, Wow. A um, couple things to note here. First, Antioch. It's important to know that Antioch was a booming metropolis. Antioch, you could say, was, is kind of like a, a little Rome. The other thing about Antioch was it was very diverse. It could be said of Antioch that it was probably 50% comprised of Gentiles and 50% and comprised of Jews. So it's a, it's a very diverse place, and you'll see why that's significant. But here's what's going on. The gospel, the message of Jesus Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection, and how we can know him. The gospel, what did it do? It first came to people of, of Jewish descent. People who for hundreds and hundreds of years, they sought to follow the Old Testament ceremonial laws. The dietary laws, the, the Sabbath laws. And it, when Jesus shows up though, Jesus explains, okay, this was the purpose of those ceremonial laws. Laws, they were to be a teacher for you, he would say. They were to direct you. Uh, they were to help reveal your need for the grace of God. They were to help you understand, to teach you, to point you to the, the fact that, okay, I've got air in my life. I need a cure for that. I'm in need of the grace of God. You could think of the Old Testament law like this. If you or I went to the doctor this afternoon and, and we sat down in the chair and we had an MRI done, 
And that doctor came back and they said, well, the MRI revealed that you have cancer. Now, here's the thing. I would be thankful. You would be thankful for the MRI. What does it do? It revealed. It helped us, it helped us know what the problem was. Now, the day that we go back to the hospital to begin to cure that problem, we wouldn't get another MRI. That's not the purpose of the MRI. What the, what's happening here, and, and this is significant, is that the law, what did it do? It pointed people to their need for Jesus Christ. And here's how this impacts Peter. Peter, he was a Jew himself. Peter knows this. And Peter knows, and you can read about this in Acts chapter 11, Peter knows that a person is not precluded from having faith in Christ by the requirements of the law. A, a person doesn't, there's no, there's no barrier based on nationality or, or based on, um, you know, their adherence to the ceremonial laws. There's nothing standing in the way of anyone from putting their faith in Jesus Christ. Rather, Jews and Gentiles, all of, all of us in this room, we approach God the same through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But here's what happens. Um, look with me at verse 12. It says, For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. He's talking about Peter. Now, and let me just say this. In those days, to share a meal together was a big deal. But there are all these dietary laws. And Peter knew, though, Peter knew, no, 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 it's okay. Read Acts chapter 11, and, and you find out Peter knew full well that these things do not need to be a barrier to a person having a right relationship with God, adherence to these ceremonial laws. And so then it says this, it says, but when they arrived, when these Jewish people arrived, he, Peter, began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Meaning, okay, Peter, these Jewish people come to him, and all of a sudden he buckles under pressure. It was a big deal. It was a huge thing for him to be able to eat with these Gentiles. He was saying a lot, but now he's saying a lot because he's, he's pulling back, and he's not willing to eat with them anymore. And then it says this, it says the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. But Peter knows that adherence to the Old Testament laws, they can't bring a person into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. But by his actions, Peter's saying, hey, being in a right relationship with God, it's about more than just faith in Christ. Now, Peter, by his actions, he's speaking of a different gospel, and that is why Paul is so upset, because Peter is saying it's Jesus plus something, whereas Paul is saying Jesus plus anything, no way, that, that equals absolutely nothing, faith in Christ alone. In our culture, you could fill in the blank on what gets associated with having a right relationship with God. Many would say, and, and this would, was true of my own pattern of thinking, that it's Jesus plus good works. That if I just kind of fly straighter, and, and you know the burden of maybe living with this kind of a mindset. If I just get my act together, hopefully at the end the scales will kind of well, you know, level out and I'll be okay with God. Um, you could fill in the blank on, on what people put into that. Maybe it's Jesus plus attendance or Jesus with, uh, plus association with a certain group or you name it. You can put that in that blank and, and we can do that. And here's the thing about it. It puts us in performance mode, which is kind of nice to be in performance mode because you're in control, right? I'm in control. I can slip back into performance mode. Peter slipped back into it. Barnabas slipped back into it. 
But it's this idea that, okay, if I can get my act together, it's about me. I can pat myself on the back. Look at me instead of saying, I am just blown away at the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And that causes me to want to live for him. But who are my eyes on? Not on me, but on Christ. And so Paul, what does he do? He confronts Peter. Verse 14 says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not just so important. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified, here it is, by faith in Christ and not By the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. When Paul says that word justified, what he means is this, to be justified, it simply means that I stand before God, that that as God sees me, I'm in right standing before him. That's what it means to be be completely justified. Do you see why Paul is so uh, passionate in this text? Paul's realizing that he's got people that are walking around and they're thinking, oh, it's not just Jesus. Oh, it's it's more than that. I've got to add to that. And so then he finishes out kind of the thought in Galatians, verse 20. Or actually, let me, yeah, sorry, this is back in in, uh, Romans 3. This expands on justification even more. This righteousness, this right standing before God, is given through faith in Jesus Christ. Here it is. To all who believe, every tribe, every tongue, every color, every socioeconomic stat, all of it, every category. To who? To all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Absolutely no difference. Paul is saying this. When you look at your church, he's saying in Christ, everyone is on level playing field. That's why it's such a value to get on a plane, go to a foreign country, meet other brothers and sisters in Christ, and this comes to life. It's like, whoa, we are on the same page. Why? Just because of Jesus Christ. So then Paul closes this thought in in, uh, Galatians 2. He says, uh, sorry, let me read this last verse too. Boy, I'm I'm just kind of cruising through Romans too fast here. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what are they? Here it is. This is so important. They're justified freely by his grace. This is why Paul was willing to go to the carpet on this. They're justified freely. Paul's saying it's it's free justification. It comes through faith and you don't don't have to earn it. And it's through the redemption that came by, by Jesus Christ. And then verse 20, here it is. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, Paul writes, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside, I do not set aside the grace of God. Paul's saying, if you're on the performance track, you set aside the grace of God. You don't think you need the grace of God. But if you're on the the track where you say it's only by the, the grace of God that I can stand in a right standing before God, then he's saying, wow, you're embracing it. That's where righteousness is found. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained, if it could be earned through the law, here it is, Christ died 
for nothing. But Christ went to the cross. If it's Jesus plus anything, then Jesus died for absolutely nothing. What captivated Paul and what can captivate you and I today is this. It's the reality that I stand before God and when he sees you and when he sees me, what does he do? If my faith is in Christ, he doesn't see me as a sinner. That's huge. He looks at me and he sees his son. That's the gospel. And Paul knows that there was a point in which he was captivated by stopping that message, but then when he encountered it, when he got it, when his heart was softened by God, then he was captivated by Jesus, and he knows that it changed his entire life. And what's fun is to look in this room and to know that so many of you have received the grace of God, and you would say, well, I can see why Paul's so passionate here, because there's a big difference between living on the performance track and living on the track where you're like, wow, I, I want to honor God with my life, but it's not to earn anything. It's out of response. I stand in his, in his grace that's so freely been given to me. Paul's declaring there is no line between Jew and Gentile. Paul's declaring that in the gospel, we all come to Jesus by faith in Christ. You know, one of the greatest things as a pastor is just to be able to to look around and to be able to know different stories and to be able to see, you sit across from a person sometime and they say, I used to think that having a relationship with God was all about how I performed. And you have one of those conversations where a person in that conversation, then you share the gospel with them and you help them understand that, oh, it's not about your performance, it's about who Christ is and what he's done. Maybe you come here this morning and you'd say, you don't know my story. And Jesus would say to you, I'm not so concerned about your story. I can help your story. But you sit across from a person and, and you can just see the pent-up angst of, I'm carrying this on my own. And it's quite a burden to live that way. But then they realize, oh, it's the grace of God apart from anything that I would do. And it's like a person will go like this even physically. <sighs> wow. I don't have to earn it. It's not about what I muster up. Paul is so strong in this passage. Why? Because the gospel is at stake. And he doesn't want anyone to not have this life-changing experience with Jesus Christ because they misunderstood the gospel. Jesus plus anything is totally garbage. Paul says, no, 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 it's just, it's just faith in Christ. So this is where I want to drive us to for application here today. So two questions is how I want to end. The first one is this. Ask yourself this question. You might even just jot this down. Am I trusting in Jesus alone or Jesus plus something? And you can kind of fill in the blank. And I think even, um, even if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I think this is a good question because I think we can kind of get back into habits sometime where we begin to look more at us. And this is a very telling question, I think, as you, look at, as you think about how you would answer that. It's this, are my eyes more focused on Jesus or are my eyes more focused on myself? Because if my eyes are more focused on me, that changes the way that I act. It changes the way I relate to my heavenly father dramatically. So am I trusting in Jesus? Are my eyes, are, are my thoughts, are they more focused on him or are they more focused on me and getting my act together and cleaning me up? And the second question is this, is the gospel captivating me? Notice that this where this is intentional. It doesn't say, did the gospel captivate me? Like, like there was an event where the gospel captivated me. That's a good thing. But now it seems like the gospel doesn't captivate me anymore. 
Um, that should not be. The, the gospel, the, the fuel for being captivated by Jesus Christ is for us to continually remind ourselves of the gospel. I love how Tim Keller put it. Very simply, he said, the gospel is not only the way to enter into the kingdom of God, that there is that distinct point where I put my faith in Christ, but then he went on to say, it is the way to live in the kingdom of God. Knowledge of the gospel is constant fuel for living with Christ. You might say today, wow, my relationship with the Lord has gotten a little bit stale. I would encourage you this morning with Galatians 2, I would encourage you, go back to the core of the gospel um, remind yourself what, what it means and what it means for you. Imagine this. Imagine living a day. Imagine living maybe even just an hour. Imagine even a conversation that you are going to have today. Imagine if you did that in light of being captivated by Jesus Christ. That, that you were so reminding yourself of your standing before him that it changed the way that you think. It changed the way that you act. Imagine what that would be like. My prayer for us is that we'd be a people that, that we would be so captivated by the gospel, that we wouldn't trust in Jesus plus anything, but we would trust in Jesus alone. And as a result, we would just look at it and we would be in awe, as we've sung this morning, we'd be in awe of our Heavenly Father. We'd say, I can't believe that you love me the way you do. I can't believe that one day I'm going to get to stand before God and he's going to look at me, and though I'm going to carry all my life with me, he's going to see Jesus Christ. And I can't believe the fact that even right now, after I have this encounter with Jesus Christ, I can be captivated by him my entire walk, my entire life with him, that he speaks to me, that I can encounter him on a daily basis. It's amazing. I love it. Let's do this. Let me, let me pray. Um, let me pray to close this. Heavenly Father, thank you um, for who you are. And Father, we thank you for Galatians chapter 2. Lord, I thank you that you spoke so so strongly, Lord. Thank you for the clarity that we get on the gospel. And Lord, we just want to confess to you this morning. Father, maybe we're in a place where we'd say, I've been captivated by something other than you. Maybe just take a second and, and just say, Lord, I, I confess that to you. And you, you fill in the blank and you can say what it is and just say, Lord, I don't want to be captivated by that. I want to be captivated by you. I don't want to slip into performance mode. I want to be captivated by you and he'll honor that and then I would just pray for you if you're here today and you would say you know what I've always thought it was about Jesus plus something and you know the burden of living in that way I just want to say to you this morning that you can walk out of here and you can have a conversation even right now with God where you say okay I've been on the performance track and Lord I just confess that to you and so today I say through faith in Christ alone. That's where I put my trust. I put my trust in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for me through his death, through his life, and through his resurrection. Father, thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, hey, I want to direct you to one last thing. Um, if you want to take out your program and pull this out, this uh, little slip bookmark here. Um, You'll see at the top of it, it just says captivate. Our goal really in this four-week series is that we would become more and more a people that are captivated by Christ. There's nothing greater than we could be captivated by. And so what this does is this gives you just a, a, a very doable reading plan. Um, I would encourage you parents, do this with your kids. Everybody, do this on your own where you're going to go into the book of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians over the course of the next four weeks. So this week, you see there July 19th through the 25th, we're in Galatians 
um, go through that and ask God. Maybe open up the scriptures and say, Lord, I want to be captivated by you today. Lord, would you teach me through your word? And, um, and then if you want to just join, if you're on Twitter and you want to join that conversation, you can do that at the hashtag that's in the bottom of the slip there. Okay, great. Hey, let's stand together and, and let's just really worship God for, for who he is.